welcome back to the True Craft Podcast. We hope 2022 is treating you well so far. We're here with episode two of season four, and our guest today is none other than Adam Benner from Land Grant Brewing Company out of Columbus, Ohio. Chris and Adam talk about the meaning behind the name Land Grant, the history behind their name change, and the history behind the name itself, the brewery's experience with some award-winning food trucks, and their background with the partnership with the Columbus Crew and the collaboration with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Please be sure to check out Adam's podcast. It's called The Beer with the Brewers Podcast, and we have a link in the description below. Uh, but without further ado, let's get onto the episode. Staring at that canning line really lit a fire in us. Beers for everyone in society. In my opinion, the world's greatest social igniter. There's no time in my life that I didn't think, oh, this would be a good time for a beer. Adam, welcome to True Craft Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So it's Adam. Glad to be on. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad to have you. I'm, I'm excited to have you. So it's Adam Benner, Land Grant Brewing, Columbus, Ohio. Yes, sir. Home of the Ohio State Buckeyes. The world famous Buckeyes, as uh, Gus Johnson says on the big noon kickoffs. <laughs> Buddy, I'm a Florida Gator. Okay. All yeah, right. yeah. So we have, I don't, I'm, I'm going to get some more of your history, but I'm sure we had some overlapping urban years. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I was at the, uh, I was at the 2006 championship. It's a, it was a good week leading up, but that, uh, after, after kickoff, that was the only highlight of that game for Ohio State fans. So, right, right. Totally. <laughs> Definitely, man. Um, and then full circle, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, and Urban is and the, Ur- Urban's back. There you go. He's back. Deal with him again. <laughs> he's back. You know, man, it, it's pretty sad to me. He seems like he's on vacation. Uh-huh. He seems yeah. like he's just a fish. Maybe not a fish out of water, but he's just aloof on the sideline. Just kind of like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he has the same fire as he did in college. Right. So, yeah. And I think after week one or two, when he lost the first two games, he went off the deep end mm-hmm. screaming or doing something. And then everyone was like, yo, coach, get used to losing. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So tell me more about Columbus. I'm especially curious about the college town because I have a theory about breweries and college towns. But give me some background on the number of breweries there and more so background on Lane Grant. Sure. So we opened uh, a little over seven years ago, and um, I'm a, not originally from Columbus. I grew up outside of Cleveland, and then came came down for for college. Left for uh, left for a few years, moved to Chicago, and uh, really it was when their big craft beer renaissance started. I think when I moved to Chicago, there was like eight breweries, and then it just really exploded. And uh, my background, I had a career in operations management, um, financial analysis, IT kind of, kind of span the world of, uh, various fortune 500 companies and, uh, really, really, uh, started homebrewing while I was in Chicago. We had a nice little coach house that we had room to do so. And it, again, with, with all of the breweries and planning and popping up, I lived right next, a uh, couple door or a couple blocks away from a uh, brew pub called peace, which is, uh, won multiple GABF and World Beer Cup, uh, small brewer, brew pub of the year and made fantastic beer, started talking to a lot of folks in the industry and and 
uh, we would come back to Columbus a lot. So what's interesting, Columbus being a college town, it for folks, have you ever been to Columbus before? I have not. So for, especially for folks that have never been here, you kind of think of it as, you know, your, your typical college town, uh, even, you know, in the capital city where it's actually, I mean, the college itself is, is separated very much from, from the, from the rest of the city. So okay. the, the Ohio state, I think when all the students are there, including grad students, it's about 60,000 students, but it's not intermixed within the downtown. It's its own campus where most uh, look, my parents lived in Columbia, South Carolina for a while, and, and University mm-hmm. of South Carolina is mixed within you know, the downtown buildings, the campus, right. and the dorms are, are mixed there. And, and traveling a lot, as, as we mentioned about college football, I've been to a lot of different, um, especially the larger state schools, Big Ten schools, and you, know, you go to West Lafayette or um, you're going to, uh, you know, Matt, I lived in Madison for a year, and in, in, in Madison being a capital city, um, much smaller. The, the the university drives a lot of that. Where mm-hmm. um, if you want to avoid never stepping foot on campus and never seeing a college kid, it's it's very easy to do. So oh, wow. here in Columbus, so um, yeah, that's what a lot of people are like. Oh, when the students are in town, you get more busy. But when I was in when I was in school, I mean, we we barely left. You know, t- there were some bars. Some people went downtown, but for the most part, campus has its own set of bars. Can't you know house parties and stuff like that. So. Um, if you, you know, really, I only see campus during the fall when I go down for football games and, um, but you can really, uh, avoid it if you want to, or, or, or make it a part of your, um, your routine as well. So that's the benefit being here in Columbus in school that, you know, you had a major airport, there's 2 million people in the surrounding area, um, of Columbus metropolitan area. So when, with Ohio, you have three C's Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus, and they're all relatively the same size. Cleveland may be the biggest downtown, but um, Columbus counts a lot of its suburbs and its population base, but they're all about 2 million people. So it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely um, an an interesting mix of you have that campus uh, campus type feel to it when you're, when you're in and around, um, Ohio state, but the rest of it is just, it's just the regular city um, and suburbs. So, so I would say that my experience for most college towns, like you said, have been the college town drives most of the, the business and most Mm -hmm. of the commerce Gainesville, Florida is the same way. Even, even if you're talking about the med school or the law school, right? People may not live close to campus, but they are tied to the campus through classes through teaching research, whatever it may be. So I'm curious with your geography, how many breweries are in Columbus? Oh, that's a great question. There's, I want to say we're north of 50 at this point in the Columbus metropolitan area. Um, are you serious? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Uh, I've, I should know this a little better. I, I'm the treasurer on the on the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. I, do, I we just said at our last meeting there are 398 operating breweries in in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, and there's still another 60 or so in planning. So I, I'd say it's probably between 40 and 50 in the, um, major metropolitan area here in, in Columbus downtown. There's probably a dozen, um, close to downtown. And then as you get a little bit, um, to the outskirts, there's, there's more, but, right. um, yeah. Well, Columbus is an anomaly because that shatters all of my theories on, <laughs> On college town breweries, because I know of some in 
the, the Southeast, right? SEC. Mm-hmm. And they struggle. They struggle to, to, because of the big beer pull in all those cities and the, the cheap pitchers and the, the buckets and stuff like that, which really drive what, what most college students are, are drinking. So with 50 breweries, tell me about the competition. Tell me about, are most of them on the smaller end? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, it, it's funny that you say that there is a, uh, uh, little convenience store on campus and we used to buy our beer there. It's called tobacco international. And, uh, some stat I heard a little while back there, they sell the most, uh, natural light than any other yeah. like store in the country. And, Every and college so you do still that. have that. Yeah. You still have that. And, and, yeah. and there's a large, uh, there's a large Anheuser-Busch plant, uh, regional plant here, um, in, in North of our, 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 our outer belt. So there are, Anheuser Busch employs a lot of people, and it's been ingrained in in the in the culture for a while. So that's that's one of the things. Kind of as I started, as we started coming back to um, started coming back to Columbus after being in Chicago for a while, we started seeing a lot of the same things that's happening all over the country. But started seeing that here as well. Some breweries planning uh, and and bars really converting, you know, carrying a lot more craft, and so that's when we started. So with with that fifty or so. And again, us being around for uh, about seven years, we're we're the we're the third largest by volume producer in Columbus, um, and that's in uh, for craft, and that that includes Brewdog. Uh, Brewdog set up their U.S. headquarters in Canal Winchester, which is about 25, 30 minutes south of downtown. Um, and then they opened up a, they have a brew pub directly across the street with the, from us and a couple other here. Um, and then uh, Columbus Brewing Company uh, does about between like 30 and 40,000 a year um, here just in, in Ohio. And then we clock in, we've done about 10,000 barrels the last three years steadily through the pandemic. Um, and then probably Bulls Ridge or Seventh Son. Um, they started a, about a year before we did, uh, had much smaller spaces to start out. So they, they took a while to expand. Um, they're probably doing about 7,000 barrels each and then a handful of others that, so most of them, the majority of those 50, I, I mean, I would say at least 30 plus of, a, of them, uh, are just tap rooms, brew pubs. Yeah. Not really much distribution. Right. Are you guys located closer to campus or closer to downtown? We're closer to downtown. Uh, we we are. Uh, Columbus is an interesting. There, it, it, there's a river that cuts through right downtown, um, and the one of the rivers, uh, the Olentangy, that goes right by Ohio Stadium, flows right into the Scioto, which is the river that's right by us. Mm-hmm. We're in a part of town. We're we're directly across from downtown. Um, the area we're in was a historic flood zone, uh, but this is where Col- Columbus was originally founded on our side of the river. And then there's a huge flood about 120 years ago, and they all moved to the other side. And it wasn't until 2003, uh, and they completed a flood wall that um, makes this area a lot more viable. So we were we were one of the it was an area that was ignored quite a bit for a long time, and so we us and a couple other businesses were the kind of the first folks to come down here. And now there's been an explosion of development around us. And, uh, our, if, if folks are familiar with Columbus, um, we have a science center called COSI, 
um, center of science and industry. Mm-hmm. It's on the, on the little peninsula, the river does a little bend and that's right on the other side of the railroad tracks from us. So we're, we're real close to that. Um, Columbus crew just opened a new, uh, downtown stadium. That's about a 15, 20 minute walk from our, from our, uh, from our brewery. Oh, cool. So it's, it's close to downtown. We're right by the, the freeway that goes that, that dissects, um, dissects our, our outer belt that goes right by campus. So it's an easy trip to campus if you want to go to a game or something like that. Uh, but like I said, it's, 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 it's avoidable. Well, why did you call it the science center? Is it, do y'all collaborate with them or do you? Well, yeah, we've done, we've done some fun stuff with them. They've, they've won, I think they've won. It was uh US a couple times. They've won a USA today, uh, like best either children's museum or science museum, something like that. Um, oh, and dude, it's a children's museum. Science. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's a chill. Yeah. Love so it. we've done when they launched their new, uh, they redid their planetarium. That was the first collaboration we did with them. Um, we did a beer, a black IPA to kind of signify that, which kind of launched a whole line of space themed beers that we've done. Um, and just every now and again, we'll, we'll partner one of the, their former presidents, um, was also an astronaut and we collaborated with her, uh, wow. two years ago. And, and so it's, it, it's fun. And they do, um, they call them COSI after dark where they, the first time they pitch it to us, they're like, you know, parents bring their kids here and you could tell how much they want to play with all the stuff and but they're embarrassed to do it in front of a bunch of bunch of eight-year-olds mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a 21 plus there's beer and 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 some of the local distilleries will have stations and and it's open up and you can you know try out all the you can ride the unicycle on the tightrope and all those oh fun brilliant things that they have at those things so it's a lot of fun yeah do you have any kids I do not. I do not. No. Oh, okay. Well, I have three. And anytime we visit a city, I'm always looking for the science museum or the children's museum because they have really stepped their game up. Oh yeah. Yeah. My co-founder Walt has, has two, two girls and they have a season pass. They go there all the time. It's definitely a a great spot. Yeah. yeah. I I was giving a webinar once or recording and I was, I opened up with, I really struggle in those lines because my math brain is, is going back and forth between the day pass and the annual pass. And we don't even live in that city. <laughs> right. my, I look yeah. over at my wife. And she so one more time me. would be, it'd be worth it. Exactly. And my wife's looking at me. She's like, don't even, don't even. She just gives me the eyes, dude. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Right. Cool, man. All right. So you guys, seven years old, 10,000 barrels. How much distro, how much tap room barrels? So we're, I always, I always look at it. Um, like revenue breakdown, we're about, a, I was, it's pretty much a third, a third, a third in a normal year, a third mm-hmm. through tap room, a third through uh, on-premise and a third and off, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, obviously really shifted. Um, and we do about a thousand barrels through our tap room. So the rest of that 9,000 or so goes through cool. um, distro. And um, it's always funny, past couple before the pandemic, people would talk about starting breweries and ask me my opinion. I go, oh, just, just open a tap room. Don't worry about sure. dealing with the Kroger's and the, and the, and the large retailers. And that's pretty much what saved us for the most part through the pandemic. So, I know, man. but it's swinging back. Yeah. It's really, it's really a double-edged sword. The storyline has gone so far to the right and so far to the left, as far as what a, a good plan is. But honestly, from where I sit, I'm just seeing really low risk, small projects opening up these days. Mm-hmm. Long gone are the days of 
three, $4 million projects for a startup. Yes. 750,000 or less, typically half a million or less. And they're just trying to, it's a proof of concept that hopefully can grow into something, something uh, bigger. Uh, Do you guys self-distribute or use a distributor? uh, we use a distributor now. Uh, we self-distributed for the first four and a half years and then ran out of space. And it was kind of uh, a out of necessity to start to um, sign with the distributor here in central Ohio. We have a, mm-hmm. another one in southeastern Ohio. And then we self-distribute to Cincinnati and Dayton and then a, a little bit up to Cleveland as well uh, still. So um, enough enough every, every couple of weeks to kind of splash the market. Good. Up there. Keep us busy. Good. And it was you and a co-founder that started it? Yes. Yeah. There was two of us. Yeah. It, he went to, two of us went to Ohio State, Walt, uh, together. Uh, he moved to New York. I moved to Chicago. Uh, and uh, when I started homebrewing, he's, his back, he's a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And so he started making labels for the homebrew beers. And he is a much better graphic designer than I was a brewer. And uh, so the the, the the beers really took shape and, and uh while in chicago i started taking classes at siebel um just to expand my knowledge once i kind of had this path that I, I knew we were gonna try to make, give this thing a go and uh um so but he, he he jumped on board and we both moved back uh about 20 2013 um uh, back yeah. uh back to Columbus. You guys have such a similar story to so many guys that started or gals or guys and gals that started 2011 to 2014, right? Mm -hmm. Two dudes, one's brewer, one sales and marketing, getting in, getting it done. And I bet you the first couple of years were, or at least the first year was a flipping grind. Oh yeah. So we, we, I mean, neither of us. So we, we hired a head brewer right away and he started, he, he was at another brewery here in town and uh, from the commercial side and, you know, r- running the tap room when we open up. So for the first, what do we open in October until about Walt had his first baby in June. So, um, until then one of us was opening or closing the tap room every day. And then yep. also managing sales and every other aspect. Um, I think by the end of the first year, we might've had eight, maybe, maybe five, five or six employees. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely the the long days, long nights, but uh, we learned a lot in that first couple first couple of years. Yeah, I think it's critical that the most successful partners that we work with have experienced it, right? They didn't come in and hire an all-star team and let them kind of run it. They grinded it out for at least six months, sometimes a couple of years, and can still jump in when they need to but have certainly hired and delegated and and done a bunch of that stuff. The issues I run into is when brewery owners or or directors don't have the knowledge or the leadership skills, and then it just all goes awry. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of confidence. Uh, So it's great that you guys, I, I do the same thing for my business, right? I can execute every service that we offer. It's just, I don't do it that often. So I need to re up, when I, when I have to jump back in, uh, from yeah. time to time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting. We, uh, um, so my, like, like a lot of other breweries, so my, my, uh, my wife works here, her background is corporate training and, 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 and sales. So, 
training bartender trading bartenders and, and sales mm-hmm. teams it's it's right up her alley did a lot a lot of years with AT&T and their corporate in Chicago and um we we had a uh, one of our guys that has been with us since pretty much the beginning it was his second career and he just re-retired and he was uh, overseeing the tap room and and so we neither of us had done any tap room stuff in in a couple of years so we're kind of jumping back overseeing those as we're as we're working out the team again and uh it's it, it's 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 definitely like you said it's good to be refreshed in some of those areas just to see uh just to see to make sure everything is still running smoothly yep yeah so i mean it's yeah it's it's um it growing comes with with a, a a new level of responsibility and a new level of, of dedicate delegation. Excuse me, not dedication, delegation. And it it sometimes can be challenging if you uh, don't want to give those responsibilities up or something. But yeah, I mean, it's all it's all good stuff. Let me let me yeah. switch topics to food for a second. Yeah, I see you guys are food. Do food trucks? We're a food truck. Yeah. Food okay. Truck and how's that going? That's great. Uh, worked in enough restaurants through college and high school that I knew I could, when we were opened up and I'd be here, if there was a, we got busy or someone called off, I could jump behind the bar and serve a drink, but jumping on a line and having to prep food and all that just didn't want to deal with that. And yeah, but just great timing. The food truck scene here really starting to blow up right about when we opened up and, uh, and then about, I don't even know how long ago, about four years ago, maybe, um, one of the local barbecue joints who had, had a food truck at another location was looking to add another spot. We had done a big event. Um, and, uh, that's, we brought in Ray Ray's, uh, and, and they're here from Thursdays through Sunday. So that keeps it a little consistent mm-hmm. and they bring their own crowd in. They've, uh, he was nominated. The owner was nominated for a James Beard last year and, oh, wow. Uh, he's food and wine and Southern living both named him the best barbecue in Ohio a couple of times. So it's, wow. it's fantastic. It's his own hog farm. Uh, guys, guys, awesome. And, uh, Jeez. so it's, they make a, they make great ribs, brisket, pulled pork. It's all made, you know, made fresh that day. They're smoking it every day here. And, uh, Do they have a brick and mortar in Columbus? They, they just opened one. They, they had three, um, kind of food, food trailer type locations, and then last, I want to say it was last fall. I think they're coming up in on a year near in the same town that he has his farm, which is a little northwest of or northeast of uh, Columbus, about 45 minutes in Granville, uh, Ohio. Uh, he opened up a brick and mortar restaurant. Uh, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Those accolades are huge. You just named. Oh yeah. No, no it's, joke. It's, it's, it's no joke. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, he, he, he'll do, competitions against he he was also on um on the 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 other location was on drive-ins diners and dives oh really um, yeah so they did a big they did a big party here for that um and uh and a, when it, when it was airing and stuff so yeah it's no joke he's dude he i job. catch i catch myself on friday nights just watching that crap oh like for <laughs> hours on loop yeah. and it's like what am i doing <laughs> What am I doing? I don't know. It's just it's just mindless mindless TV. We we have three young kids, so we we have a pretty strict schedule as far as like what how often we go out and stuff that we do. So I find myself watching DDD. Oh yeah, yeah. Triple D. Uh, all right. So I want to switch gears now and talk about your 
collaborations with the local sports teams because I find this fascinating and I want to kind of understand more about how they started. So there's two collaborations, right? So one one official. Um, okay. uh, and so um, and to kind of back up too. So when we were, you know, the the name name Land Grant um, came from. It was our nod to our alma mater, Ohio State, to Land Grant College. Every mm-hmm. state has a Land Grant school. In the South, they had some states have have two. So Florida's would be University of Florida and Florida A and M. So when what's a Land Grant school? So, so in 1862, um, Justin Morrill was a uh, congressman from Vermont, wrote this act that um, would take federal lands that, that the government owned and then sell them, uh, give them to the states. They would grant them to the states. Uh, and depending on how many senators and, and, and House of Representatives you had, you got 30,000 acres per. Uh, and then the states would, they sold those lands for like the timber companies or, or farming or, or however, and they use the proceeds to set up endowments for their institutions of higher education that were focusing on agricultural, mechanical, and military arts. So your oh, A&M okay. schools or farming, engineering, and your ROTC program. So all of them have the ROTC. So large state schools, uh, Ohio State, Penn State, um, Michigan State, University of Kentucky, University of Georgia, University of Florida, those are all the uh, Land grant schools. A lot of them were, you know, Texas A and M. So a lot of them have A and M in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. So then in 1890, they passed a second uh, version of that. That um, it for states that were not fully in- integrated, uh, you couldn't preclude race uh, from entrance. So for southern, most of the southern states then created your historically black colleges. Uh, that also were granted land grant status, so they 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 have the endowments the same way. So I believe I think it's Florida A and M and yeah. Florida in Tallahassee. The, yeah, would be the land grant college there. So um, with the uh, forget they have that great that marching band. They played Ohio State a few years ago. It was awesome to go. What their marching band came up. Uh, that was yeah, really they're they're legit. So, yeah. So yeah. so so we had this name. It was our not to our alma mater, but. Uh, we had met someone, I think it was from Oscar blues. And they're like, you know, one piece of advice, if you, we didn't know how big we wanted to be or anything. They're like, don't regionalize yourself with like calling yourself like Columbia, uh, Cleveland brewing company or something like that, that, right. You know, people in Indiana don't really care or, or right. whatever. And even you look Sierra Nevada is named after a mountain range, but it's generic enough and, and, and things like that. So our original name was going to be oval brewing company. And that was our nod to the central part of Ohio State's campus, the central quad is is called the oval. Uh, it's oval shape. And then it has like a lot of colleges, these desire paths all cut through them that they didn't pave until the students wore them away. And so um, we went to register that trademark and there was an Austrian vodka with the name oval registered for, uh, for spirits. And so mm-hmm. it didn't work. So that's when we went with land grant with that, um, still having that kind of collegiate feel. Uh, and then again, since every state has one, so a lot of our original beers, and this kind of answered long-winded way to answer your question, a lot of original beers had this kind of collegiate feel, but also the sports nod. Our our our, our goal has always been to very approachable. We wanted to make beers that you could drink at any occasion, whether you're watching a game or just hanging out with friends. And um, so we had some some sports beers with that, and um, because that's it, really represented. Um, Walt and I are huge sports fans, whether it's, 
you know, college football or EPL soccer, um, Mm-hmm. U.S. soccer fans, MLS. So um, we we kind of had that approach, but a lot of it was it was our way to be approachable to folks. And and so um, one of our friends, and this is the same time when we opened, the Columbus Crew got new ownership. Uh, and that's our local MLS team that they wanted to really focus and, and bring a lot of local people into the stadium instead of having national vendors and things like that. And we had a college roommate that worked for the team and made an introduction and. Um, so really we opened in 2014 and the first season, so February of 2015, we signed a partnership with them, which was essentially like 90% of our marketing budget for the year. And they had never worked with a local craft partner before. Um, we, you know, it was kind of new territory, but one of the great things about it was the MLS even seven years ago was a completely different league than it is today. So they were a lot more flexible of what we could do that, whether they, you know, licensing rights weren't as strict as some of the other leagues and stuff that we've heard about. So we, uh, you know, when we do a partnership, we kind of go all in on it. So, um, we right away, we're like, we're going to make a beer for this. And, um, but what, what we always hated when a lot of other brands and they had one from a large macro brewery that just slaps, um, you know, it's a bread lager they make for everyone and says, Oh, we brew this for you. And then we're going to put it, put, put, crew lager and, and all your fans will buy it. And I always felt that's disingenuous. And if we wanted, you know, we're fans and if we wanted to drink something, it should be something that fans had some sort of part of more than just naming it on Twitter or something like that. So you can't really put up like a vote, a poll of like, which hop should we use or which grain? So we, right. we brewed a bunch of pilot batches, had folks down and different styles and had them vote a um, bunch of fans before a game. And, and, and then, from that, we had uh, an American wheat one, and we're like, that style can kind of run the gambit of from a hoppy wheat, like a gumball head from Three Floyds, or like a like Lagunitas, little something, something, all the way to like a Blue Moon or a or a or an Oberon from Belt, like a real citrusy kind of um, smoother wheat. So we brewed four different wheat beers, and what ended up winning uh, from that had people down, and they voted was this was slightly hoppy wheat we called Glory. There's a um, chant that the Columbus crew supporters chant and it's to the tune of, we're not going to take it. It's glory to Columbus glory oh, yeah. to Columbus, you know? So we, so we named it glory. Um, and, uh, that was a hit. We, we actually, we got, we got corporate partner of the year with the crew our first year and they had Pepsi and, and, and Budweiser and all these large, you know, large Scott's miracle grow is a local company here in Columbus. Um, they have their headquarters and, 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 us uh with just 10 15 employees got uh and they got recognized for glory at the end mls awards and stuff so it was it was a great way to start that out and 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 we've continued that partnership um now for uh now into their new stadium so for the past six years uh this will go, be going into our seventh season with with the team and mm-hmm. um as i mentioned that the ownership had a lot of uh they were bringing a lot of local support in and then uh, we got kind of blindsided a couple years back when the, the owner decided he was going to move the team to Austin, Texas. And so we were a big part of the Save the Crew movement, which helped um, really first time. I mean, I, growing up in Cleveland, I had the Browns leave. So I just assumed that was going to happen. But a group of fans uh, banded together and saved the team. And um, the coincidence is Jimmy Haslam from the Browns ended up buying buying the buying the team. And mm. 
building a new stadium. So when the old uh, regime was gone, we felt it was time to refresh the brand and, uh, and, and did the similar thing where we brewed some, we, we brewed our old batch of glory and then brewed a few other beers because um, people's t- tastes have changed over the past six or seven years too. And right. from that, we got a new, it's more just a hazy pale ale and uh, it's called Massive. Um, that's another uh, from the 2008 run when the crew won the MLS Cup uh, two times ago that there was a chant that we are massive. So that one's called Massive and that's now served at uh, Lower.com Field, which is the new crew stadium. So it's a, it's been a fantastic partnership. And from being the only, so at the old stadium with the old ownership group, we were the only, we started out as the only craft partner by the time uh, four years in five years in, they had five other craft partners. So it really kind of muddied the waters a little bit, but we always had that um, kind of, since we were the first ones there, we always were, were kind of the uh, looked upon favorably um, from both the fans and the ownership group. And, and then with the new, new, new group and new stadium, we were the only uh, partner this year there. And, um, and it, it was a great, great experience for us. They, um, played half their games at the new stadium it's a wonderful facility Um, so we're we're excited to be partners and from that that kind of got to the second point so we don't actually have an official partnership with ohio state uh it just kind of we had we had our our first ipa was called stiff arm it's in a red can we're called Mm -hmm. Langrat, and so a lot of that went together but ohio state wasn't selling alcohol in the stadium at the time and uh the restaurant group levy restaurants who manages uh uh the crew 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 uh, concessions also does Ohio stadium. So uh, I think one thing that we really hung our hat on that we really wanted to make sure that they were always taken care of, you know, from, we would send people to, you know, to the various stands to make sure they knew about the beers that they weren't our employees so that mm-hmm. they could talk to fans and stuff about it. So when Ohio state talked started talking about bringing alcohol to the stadium, the person that was overseeing Ohio state who also um, oversaw the crew at the time was like, well, you know, be ready for it. Be ready for it. When they, when they end, we're going to get you everywhere. And uh, I'm just like, just give me, just give me a few weeks. Give me or give me a couple months lead time. And, oh, yeah. uh, and there was a Columbus business first. It's our, our business uh, paper. Uh, when they news broke that Ohio state was going stadium wide alcohol sales, it was uh, Ohio state's going stadium wide. There's going to be local craft and land grants going to be the anchor craft brand. And, oh, geez. Uh, we, hadn't been, we, we hadn't been told either. And so the, I called the, the, the woman from Levy that we had worked with and I'm, and she's like, do you like that big present I gave you? And she's like, I told, I, I told, I told, I told the, uh, you know, the, the team at Ohio state that we have to have local and we have to have land grant. So it was great. Um, so that, that got us to buy our first two eighty barrel fermenters right there. Cause, uh, even though there was only seven home games, they, they went through a lot of beer. I was going to ask you, like, how many cases does a home it's a, game? It's about a hundred cases a game. Uh, okay, maybe a little more, uh, depending on this year. This year was interesting. It was the slowest of all the years. I actually thought it was going to be um, even more than 2019 that people would be excited to go back to games, but I think there was still a lot of apprehensiveness mm-hmm. about being in large crowds for people. So, um, but yeah, a little between 150, 100, 100, 150 cases a game. So it's a great, it's a great chunk of beer. Good. Very good, man. All right. Uh, what's 2022 looking like for you guys? It's uh, so 2022. So um, the bit silver lining for us in the pandemic was um, we, we have a large beer garden, about 9,000 square foot beer garden that 
people found it without like we were one of the few places that you could go safely and sit outside and we had a lot of room and you knew you would find a space so that really um we saw a lot of uptick even more so in 2021 as more people started coming out so um that's a big focus of ours is continuing to reinvent the experience out there um one of our best uh i think things that we really hang our hat on is throwing big big events, big parties, and we weren't able to do so over the past year. So really getting back to that, um, mm-hmm. the local ice cream company, they, they, they have shops now all over the country. Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. We do a partnership with them um, to celebrate the Ohio strawberry harvest uh, around Memorial Day weekend. So we're hoping to, to bring that back this year. Um, right before we were jumping on here, I was uh, putting some finishing touches. We, I, I, I like perusing auction sites and i found a city auctioning off their ice skating rink uh, refrigerated oh. ice skating rink and so i bought that last year and when there were some stay-at-home orders we never set it up so setting up for uh, uh we're calling it brewery curling so it's going to be kind of like shuffleboard on ice not full yeah. curling like the olympic no one's going to be on the ice sweeping the insurance company wasn't too happy with that and same with ice skating we didn't want to deal with managing skate rentals so it's it's kind of like a mix between like uh, bocce ball or, or cornhole, but you're going back and forth and you, I got these little uh, mini keg growlers that mm-hmm. fill with water. And those, those are our, our curling stones and there's five lanes. And so How, it's going to be a blast. So I've been working on that for a little bit. So, uh, and this ice skating rink's going to fit inside your 9,000 square foot beer garden. It does. Yeah. It's a 26 by 50. So it's uh you got five 26 foot lanes. So it might even be bigger than 9,000 square feet. I think that because it's gotta be, it's huge. It's 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 like a half a city block. It's half a city block. It's a half an acre. So whatever that is. So that's more than that. That's massive. Yeah. It's, it's really big. It's the biggest and it might be the biggest in Ohio, (laughs) but, um, so we, we like to have fun with that. Then like, well, we do live music on Thursdays and Sundays here in the summertime. There's a, there's a putt putt course. The ice rink is on top of little putting green. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I used to golf a lot. I don't eh, pandemic. I got to golf a little more, but, uh, I put it, I put a little putting thing in there. So something to do on my lunch break here. And, and kids do you guys it. have, ton, I was going to say, do you have tons of kids on the weekends running around? We do. Yeah. We were, we were named, which was funny. I, I don't even know. We had never even been on the list, but we were, I think we were the second best place to take kids in Columbus. So, which is hilarious, which it's not intentional. I mean, it's so we've been to other breweries where they have like, you know, playgrounds and stuff like that in their beer garden. And we don't really have any of that. It just, it, you know, we're just, we got a lot of stuff. I mean, it's probably part of my ADD brain. I need to be, I need to be occupied with things all the time. So, uh, so yeah, so kids love, I it. was introduced to you through Derek. You, you spoke to Derek originally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. My office yeah. and he's in Salt Lake city. Derek's a huge craft beer drinker. Always is at breweries, but in Utah, children under the age of, I think 18 or 21 can't go in to oh, a wow. brewery. Yeah. So yeah. when he travels to any other state and, and experiences kids like every other brewery has, he he starts to get he doesn't have kids either so he starts to get the heebie-jeebies throws them off yeah yeah it yeah. throws them off completely he's like let me go yeah. back to my state my my salt lake city yeah so other other than that other than kind of the the tap room um we like i mentioned we we started sprinkling some stuff into cleveland and some of the other out of market like rest of ohio so looking at that you know we 2018 essentially we 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 purchased our building and we looked at what our next five years is, was, could be, and, and really maximized every square foot with, with, with capacity. So, yeah. um, enough that 
it wasn't that I've never wanted to chase barrels. Um, but it was great timing the way that the SBA works and buying the building and throwing in the um, equipment on top of that with a 504 loan. So we're, the cash flow is great. So mm-hmm. we, we did that. And so, um, again, doing about 10,000, we're probably 15 to 18,000, depending on how many loggers we do in capacity. So we have room to, to, to look, start looking at other markets. We, we really, our strategy has always been to plant our roots deep in Columbus and, and yep. not get in trouble when, if we were to go up to Cleveland and not have enough beer for either. Uh, so we're in a good spot that we can start, start looking at that a little more seriously. Uh, so that's, uh, but we've really taken the pandemic to, I mean, we, we kind of first time. And I think when I was talking to, to Josh about this, that, you know, growing so fast, like a lot of breweries have over the past several years, we never had a time to take a break and say, okay, you know, it's been working, but is this actually the right way to do as we become a more mm-hmm. mature company? And so that's, that's really what the start of 2022 is going to be. And 2021 has been a lot of doing the analysis. And then next year will be a lot of the implementation on some of the things that we've learned and um, moving people around and creating a little more structure uh, right. as, as, as we've gotten bigger and, and kind of need that. Yeah. The pandemic was weird for breweries because you didn't shut down, but you also had these weird lag times uh, because the tap room wasn't cranking as much. And there was a good six or eight months there where people were just generally uncertain of what, what the hell is going to oh, happen yeah. to this world. So while operations were, were were chugging along, you still had this this downtime, and a lot of breweries took the opportunity to level up on the strategic planning and and that sort of stuff. Which that sounds like you guys did too, which is really good. Yeah. Tell us about your podcast, and I want to wrap this puppy up by also telling us where we can learn more about Land Grant. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, we started the podcast. Uh, we're, we're approaching our 200th episode. I randomly was on our on our platform and looked, and it was like we were at 195. And so, sometime next month in January in the new year, we'll hit 200. And but it, it started out internally that uh, when we were self distributing, um, we would we'd be coming out with a new beer and get the the, the salespeople. We had six or seven salespeople at the time to get them all the knowledge. The best thing for them would be to hear directly from the brewers on, you know, why they chose this, what, you know, why the ingredients, how, and then also talk about some of the positioning of the beer and how it fits in our portfolio and and all that kind of stuff. And then we're like, well, these guys, the salespeople, it's tough for them to get here the same time the brewers are here because they need to be out on the road selling. And, and so uh, that's when we're like, Hey, maybe we should just record this and then they can listen to it in their cars and so that's how it started. We, we would do that and um, um, just record maybe 10 minutes about the beer. And then um, and and then I was like, well, you know, we have a lot of people that are really into beer or just kind of want to know what's going on at the brewery. You know, when we talk to them, when they're in the tap room, maybe maybe we could have a public facing side of that and publish a podcast. And, and so because we're coming out with tons of beers and we have tons of events. So uh, that's that was the genesis of it. And been a lot of fun uh we do it we do it weekly uh and uh it's it's uh we've learned a lot of, of how, how we do it we did it through the pandemic we had some uh some some fun times doing that but it's a good way just for 
the brewers kind of give their backstory on the beer or, or if it's a new style that we've never dabbled with or a new yeast strain. Um, and then, um, you know, usually whether how the name or the design on the label came to be, we like to talk about that. Um, uh, is and, it all uh, internal conversations or do you guys interview outside? We generally, unless we're doing a collaboration, it's just, it's usually, um, myself, Walt and two of the brewers. And then depending on our schedules, there might be someone else from the team that jumps in a bartender or just another employee that, um, will jump on for, for someone. So, um, we, we, we do that. Um, we talk about the, uh, tongue in cheek, the, the crushability of the beer. So if you oh, have yeah. a, a, a six pack of uh, a six pack and you're sitting in a session, how, how could you, how many could you responsibly finish uh, of that six pack? Uh, and uh, as long as you got an Uber Lyft driver and uh, there's always some sort of Seinfeld reference uh, that, that ends up uh, either on the beer during the, during the, during the podcast. So yeah, all internal. And then we we'll talk about the upcoming events and, and, you know, we, we get people, they'll, they'll send us questions about the brewery, about the industry, and we'll answer those. So I don't even, I, I haven't looked at our stats in a while about how many people listen, but, but you'll get people that cut co- that, that come in the bar and they'll, 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 Oh, Adam. Oh, you know, Oh, it's, it's interesting to see oh, face to it and, and stuff. So it's, it's fun. We have fun with yeah. it. I'll start listening to it. Can people download it or subscribe at any, any yeah, other podcast Yeah, it's players? on all the platforms. Yeah, yeah, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, cool. We use Podbean to to, to publish it. Uh, but yeah, we have we have a good time with it. Awesome, so. dude. All right, so tell the listeners where they can learn more about Land Grant. Yeah, so uh, you can check out LandGrantBrewing.com. It's our website. Facebook's, I think, Land Grant Beer. Um, Instagram, same thing, but if you're in, if you're in Columbus, uh, we, uh, if you fly Amer- uh, United or American, you can come through the terminal two or B terminal. I always forget what it's called. Uh, you can stop by, grab a beer. We have a, we have a location at the, uh, I saw Columbus that on Airport. your website. Yeah. And, uh, which is, which is a great, it's always funny when, when, when friends or family come in town or the first time they, they, they see it and they're like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that. Or, or I, that's awesome. For for the whole time during the pandemic, it was, why is it still closed? It's like, well, we don't really have control over that. So now it's back open, but um, yeah. Do you, you're, guys, you're in, you guys just sell the beer, right? Yeah. It's, it's through HMSOs, which does pretty much every airport uh, right. location, whether you're Starbucks or McDonald's or a, or a brewery. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and it's a great arrangement. Uh, they're, 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 they're uh, surprisingly good to work with. And when we first opened it, I took a picture, sent it to my mom. And she's like, "Do you guys do something different with the tap room?" But because they did, they they wanted to replicate it because it it looks very similar. But uh, so um, so yeah, and we're or come on down. Uh, you know, we we're we're if you're a uh, U.S. soccer fan and you're coming in town for the uh, El Salvador match at the end of January at at, at Lower dot com Field uh, night before, we got a big party with American Outlaws, and then you'll, we'll have our beer at the stadium. It's uh, Dude, how cold um, is it going to be at the end of January in Ohio? Well, it's you never know. Like today, it's a high of thirty. Uh, Saturday, it was sixty-five. Friday, uh-huh. it's going to be sixty. So we, that's in, in Columbus. We get that in Columbus and Cincinnati. It's a lot like Cleveland. It's just going to be cold and 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 gray until probably March. We we get a little mix here and don't get the lake effect snow like they do up in Cleveland. So it could be 
it could be 10 degrees, but it could be 60 degrees. Like it's, and, you never know. And I assume this is an outdoor stadium, right? You didn't say it's an outdoor stadium. Yeah. Yeah. The nice thing is it's covered. And so their old stadium, it was in the middle of the fairgrounds with no wind break. It was just, you sat there in the winter time, whether like it's a December playoff game or, or a January U S soccer game, and you're just freezing. And it, it's funny here in the summertime, every, it's very hot because it's a black stadium and there's no wind. So, but if it snows or rains, you, it's covered the seats kind of like uh, how the hard rock stadium is down in Miami. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh yeah, it's, it's um, or subscribe to the podcast. It's a good way to, to learn, learn as well. Uh, Beers of the Brewers podcast. By yeah, I'm so. gonna I'm gonna go subscribe. I, I started to listen to one episode in one of our team meetings this morning, and it disrupted the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I just I was like, right. is this gonna give me more information or is this gonna play? It played, and so it just started blaring over my speakers, and, and I uh, I quickly turned it off. But I, I will go check out your podcast for sure. And hey, man, I want to thank you. This was an awesome conversation, exactly how I expected it to go. And I appreciate you joining the True Craft Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Craft Podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. The show is produced by Josh Barnhart and sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit SB Standard today to learn more and request a discovery call with the team. Peace out.